everyone, and welcome to Sharing Everything. We are your hosts, Joe and Katie Balecki, and we are married, and we like making each other watch movies we like. Joe, what did we watch this week? This week, we watched The Kings of Summer. And would you like to tell us, in your words, what this movie was about? My words are IMDb as words. Your words. My words are... That's why we're listening. We could all go read IMDb. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> people are passive. Kings of Summer is about three boys, two friends, and, and uh, the comic relief kid. Mm-hmm. They build an actual house in the woods because uh, mom and dad are so lame that they have to get away. Then they actually run away from home to go live in, in the woods in, in this house that they've built. Um, the two main kids fall in love with the same girl and uh hilarity ensues okay very apt description so i sort of viewed this as a perhaps overly typical but maybe not typical coming of age story yeah very very sort of like hipstery Coming of age. It's it's uh, someone who really likes Fleet Foxes saw uh, Stand By Me and was like, dude. Yeah, there are totally some, some Stand By Me connections, you know. But I was trying to think if those connections were due to story or due to genre. And I think it's a little bit of both. Like they're yeah. boys exploring in the summer because they feel bored and yada yada. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that's certainly not an original story. Right. But I don't know if it was like, was it so typical that it was boring or was it typical that it sort of didn't make us question anything or was it more it was fun to watch, but eh, we've seen it before. Um, I liked it. It had just enough cork for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the fact that they just, like, they literally built a house. Yeah. yeah if, if you haven't seen this movie, they they build a house. Like, I don't know, like a two-story. <laughs> like, story. it's not a tree house. It's like yeah. a house. Like, like, straight out the suburbs. There's a scene where they go into the suburbs and sort of look at these... these um, like mick houses being built mm-hmm. you've seen them with like the sort of weather wrap around them and they and they look and they they read some books and stuff like this there's really cool montage pretty early on where they're they're figuring out how to do this and by no means did they make what what i would think is a safe place no, to live definitely not but it it's certainly shaped like a house I thought that it was shaped exactly like his dad's house. Oh. The main kid's dad's house, who was Nick Offerman, who is pretty cool. Yeah, we could probably review the footage. Like, that was the first thing that I thought of when they showed the finished product of their house, was that this kid was so anxious to get away from his home, but his home away from home that he built completely is his home. Well, then that's the subtle twist, too, is that he starts acting more and more like his dad as as the movie goes on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the movie sort of had a chance to get pretty Lords of the Flies and Lord of the Flies, and it didn't. Yeah. Um, 
nobody killed Piggy or anything. Right. Um, but that's sort of the sort of the thing I was thinking of when I was reviewing the IMDb in the bathroom just a minute ago. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is sort of like Lord of the Flies. Like, it's a bunch of guys in the woods. Um, but going back to what you were saying earlier, like, yeah, this is... Is there... Is there a movie, a girl movie equivalent to this that is that is also something that a man could watch and enjoy and identify with? There is only, I was thinking about this because I wanted to pose that question to you, actually. Mm. Um, I was like racking my brain trying to come up with a girl version of this, yeah. like this type of story, because it seems like every coming of age story is centered around young like teen boys and then we're just girls are expected to identify with it yeah and then the one movie that i came up with as a truly female-centric coming-of-age story is now and then have you seen that movie no okay so point made okay so now and then it was made in the 90s and it takes place in the 70s and it's about a group of that was the what was that face for (laughs) that was my oh my god they made a coming of age movie in the 90s face Uh, okay anyways so it was about a group of girls Mm -hmm. they're all best friends and it does that that thing that i can't decide if i like or not where the beginning of the movie is them as adults and then the middle of the movie is them reminiscing on them as these girls oh i just watched a movie that did that (laughs) called the wood which is mm. like the coming of age equivalent, but for black boys. Okay. It was a good, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another one that like they made it, I think in the nineties or early two thousands and it like takes place as them 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. like in the seventies. And so the storyline, it's, it's generally the same. It's, you know, these girls are unhappy or, you know, they want more out of their lives than they're getting. And so they set off and they grow up throughout the course of the summer um but as i it's been a couple of years since i've seen it but i've definitely seen it more than once because i love that movie but i don't think it's i'm not sure that someone like you would like to sit down and watch this movie and be able to identify with it and i don't know if that's solely because they're all girls or if it's like the the kind of coming of age that girls do is just not identifiable to males yeah, so I just did a quick Google search for um, coming of age films for, or female coming of age films, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are French. Ah. Uh, apparently, Dirty Dancing is one. Uh, okay, I guess I can see that. Um, two versions of Lolita, Leon the Professional, Mona Lisa Smile. Virgin suicides, but the, even virgin suicides is like from the perspective of the guys who are in love with these girls who, right? Spoilers killed themselves, and they killed themselves at the end. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, there's not much there's coming not a whole of age lot of there. A- agency, yeah, but, they don't come of age. <laughs> Sixteen candles. Okay. Now and then is on this list. And even as you're going through these names, granted, I haven't seen all of them, but like they're all told either with a main male character being just as important as the female character or you know through the eyes of a man so i think now and then might actually be the only one yeah that's about girls towed um, through their own eyes heathers is on this list oh, which, which i, I hate know that you movie. hate 
I a lot of these two, and and these are, Parent Trap is one okay. as well. Um, the 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 nineteen sixty one version, mm. which I don't think either of us have seen. A I lot have. of these, judging just by the picture, are either women like in their early twenties looking, mm-hmm. or young girls with old men. Leon the professional. Yep. Yeah, that's or that one. you know Lolita. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of these like French looking ones where it's definitely like. I don't know. Or or they're sort of like lesbian tales because I guess women mm-hmm. can't like what is it about like female best friends that like they all have to have sex with each other? Um they don't. Okay. But that's apparently what That's Hollywood what everyone likes thinks portray, that, that they do. I guess. Like that's the I whole don't... like college thing is like girls experiment like Yeah. I think I saw like a dude's testicles while he was drunk once. <laughs> like that's the closest I got to a same sex encounter like I had exactly zero of those during college, so there we go. You were also in a committed relationship with a man. That's that. It was you, actually. Yeah, it yeah was, it was I am you. that man. Yeah, that man. That man. Um. Um. But what was that? So I was going to say, Sixteen Candles is one. Mm-hmm. Mean Girls is sort of one. But again, uh, it's it's not like thirteen-year-old girls. It's girls in high school. So right. like, what do girls just like not have personalities until they're. I guess not. Like, it's such a weird thing. You would think it'd be easier for to do coming-of-age stories with girls because the trope in life is mm-hmm. that girls mature so, so much faster than boys. So it would be so easy, you would think, to have three 13-year-old girls, like, transform over one summer because 13-year-old girls, like, transform exactly. <laughs> during that summer, you know? Yeah. Like, they... There's a lot you could do, and maybe it's because it's so gendered that way, mm-hmm. because it is so quick. Like, you wake up one day, and you have boobs, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? Yeah. You know? Like, I guess it's a lot easier just because cause boys, from boys to men, there's not a lot of that sort of, like, sp- there's not a lot of specific things to men that happen. Right. Like, your dick gets bigger, and, like, you get hairier, but, like, everyone gets hairier. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as far as like emotional changes or something like that's not really a thing. And see, it's funny to me that that might be the reason why more of these movies are focused on boys because they're more of like a blank slate. But the thing is, like these movies don't really ever talk about like the physical changes that make you know people mature. Mm-hmm. It's more of, like, the emotional, like, introspective elements of it. And that's pretty much the same for everyone, I would guess. You would think. Maybe it's just hard for people to, like, get away from that. Like, if someone made a coming-of-age story with girls and didn't didn't touch on the subject of the physical changes that girls go through Mm -hmm. in their early teens... I can I can imagine a bunch of negative reviews being like they left out this whole part. It feels so inauthentic because they left it out and I can I can imagine there being like a big fight on like feminist internet where like half of them are like, "Oh, yes, it's so great." Like finally you're just treating women as people and not body parts and then the other half being like this filmmaker totally disregarded a huge important part in the coming of age of women. Right. So maybe we're just not ready for it yet for, for just a summer of three girls camping in the woods and, and all liking the same boy. 
Um, Maybe. I don't know. Like, But I was thinking about it while I was watching the, the movie, even. Like, I'd kind of like to see something like this with girls because I've... You brought up the question earlier. Like, I've seen it before. Like, I've seen Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've seen young kids swearing too much because, like, that's what you do when you discover swear words is you mm-hmm. use them all the time to try them out. I mean, just the same thing when you discover masturbation. You masturbate, like, four times a day because, <laughs> like, oh, my God, there's this thing I can do now. Um, and I've seen, you know, them fighting and dealing with masculinity and making up and dealing with forgiveness, which is not something right. that you really have to deal with until you're about that age as well, and falling in love for the first time. But, like, yeah, I don't, I've never seen a movie like that with, like, 13-year-old girls that wasn't, like, weird or creepy or mm-hmm. anything, you know? Like... Yeah, otherwise you get Leon the Professional or Lolita and yeah, stuff. Yeah, those, those are a little bit off the mark, I would say. Yeah. So, somebody make that. Make that movie. All right. Do it. In the meantime, you should also watch Now and Then. Anyways, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. And we're going to talk about something I know you are very fond of. What? And that is survival in the wilderness. Mm. If you recall, recently you and I watched Into the Wild. I we had did. seen the movie before and you had not. Mm-hmm. And so Into the Wild is about a guy going into the wild and surviving slash not surviving spoilers. And oh, yeah, he died. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely ate, he died. He poison <laughs> seeds and he died. So, in this movie, obviously, the stakes are not as high, considering right outside of their little area of the forest, there's a Boston market where they buy chicken every night um, and the highway. But, you know, it's it's sort of this, it's a similar thing that the guy in Into the Wild, he went out into the wild to discover himself because he was sick of his life. And these kids went into the wild slash the little area of woods next to the highway to do sort of the same thing because parents are lame and the stakes obviously aren't as high but i think that there's definitely a similarity in that guy leaving his life and these kids like trying on leaving their lives Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think they i don't think any of them thought that they were gonna stay in the woods forever no i mean there's like yeah i'm they the first chance they got, they went and they bought food. Like, they brought money with them out right. into the woods. So, I mean, even for as much bluster as a young boy has, he knows that he can't say anything that's an absolute and be taken seriously, even by himself. That's that's a, that's a truism. Mm-hmm. That's an absolute that I, as a, as a young boy, can say. <laughs> um, so, like, do you... So, putting your... If you were to put yourself in the mindset that these kids had when they were leaving their house that day, mm-hmm. when they decided they were going to start building this this house in the woods, would you, like, would you be thinking about how long you can survive out there without your money running out, without starving? Or would you be just be thinking, man, it's really cool that we're going to be out in the middle of the woods, there's no parents around? Like, do you think that they had like the survival element in the back of their mind or were they more focused on the isolation that it was going to give them? I think it was more, more um, focused on the isolation. Um, anybody who's, who's threatened or thought about running away from home at that age 
um, will sort of know. As, as soon as you start thinking practically, it all falls apart. Mm, yeah. Um because you're like, oh, man, no, I don't actually like know like what plants I can eat mm-hmm. if I run out of food. And I, I don't know if I would feel comfortable trapping and killing and skinning and gutting a rabbit to cook to eat. No, definitely not. Um, like it takes a special kind of person to do that. And the reason why people could do that back in the day is because they had to. Mm-hmm. And like that's why lots of pre-industrial religions place so much sort of like spiritual emphasis on animals and stuff like the sort of like native american trope is that they use like all the parts of it and they're always like thank you grandfather deer Mm -hmm. and then they shoot the deer and they're like thank you for giving me this like if i were to go hunting ever like that is that is obviously not in such a spiritual way but i would like You've seen me even apologize to spiders before I <laughs> yes, before I, I crush them. You know, like if 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 bringing them outside alive is is not the thing. All that all that is to say that no, they probably weren't thinking about survival. And it, like as soon as I saw the house that they were building, mm-hmm. like that's a really great set piece because it sets the tone for the movie. Yeah, and the tone for the movie is this isn't a survival flick. No. This this is this is something that could never ever happen. Um so any sort of like well but, but why wouldn't they like any of that is 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 automatically cast aside rather brilliantly just by having this house there. Mm-hmm. So I, that's I think that point. that's pretty pretty good. Um but there is something to be said again with like the sort of gendered element of it like the boys going out into the woods again stand by me they they go out into the woods. I forget what they were even trying to do. I don't know what they're trying. Were they to trying do. to go somewhere or something? They like found a body and then they had found to get... a body. I it's been forever since I've seen it. I don't know. I saw it recently. Anyway, there's a lot of them in the woods, and there's like the scene with the leeches and stuff. Yeah. Like, I think that's just sort of tied into like masculinity and 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 stuff like that. The same reason why your girl coming of age films are all like in schools, mm-hmm. you know, um, just because that's sort of like what you imagine with femininity is that sort of community you, you imagine that community being like bigger mm-hmm. and for for boys it's it's a lot smaller like even with stranger things like mm-hmm. the girl character the girl main character nancy like has like the high school that she's thinking of like her scope is so much bigger mm-hmm. than the boys who are just focused on their friend and their right. each other you know it's it's a weird thing the the sort of community sizes yeah, that's that's something else too is that I thought it was I mean it probably expected but they went into the woods seeking this isolation and then like they formed this community within themselves. Mm-hmm. But at the same time they went into the woods seeking isolation bringing people from their old community with them. Mm-hmm. So I don't well, know each other and then yeah like a third of the way through the movie they they bring they're the start the having girl, parties out there, yeah. the girls and, and their friends. So, like, I wonder, was that, like, a conscious thing for them where they're like, yeah, we've been out here, it's just been us, but we want to mix it up a bit, it's not as great as we thought it was, or maybe it wasn't more like instinct, where they, they'd been living with only each other for so long, they're starting to crave some sort of social something from somebody else i'd say it's that like the the scene where he goes off to where joe goes off to find a girl 
Um, her name was Kelly. Okay. When Joe goes off to find Kelly, like he doesn't tell anybody and he's not even really being all that sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. Like his, his sort of just innate desire is like, I want to see Kelly. I want to be around Kelly. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go find Kelly and I'm going to bring her here. Right. It's, I, I think it's, it's just interesting to me that they, that, well, first of all, like why, I don't understand why Biagio decided to join them because I mean, I know he was a lonely kid and everything, but like he just sort of went out on this leap of faith that these two guys wouldn't go Lord of the Flies on him and kill him because Mm -hmm. he was annoying or weird or different. And so especially at the end later we see him interacting with his dad or something at the very end who seemed unconcerned that he had disappeared exactly so so yes biagio is not a character biagio is an extended joke okay biagio is a really 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 good joke i really (laughs) like that joke it's a funny joke and it's a joke that paid off over and over and over again um and i think the reason biagio is in the movie is because a movie with just the two boys mm-hmm. would be too boring or too hard to write. So the writers, the writer said, or or at some point, some point in 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 the in the process, some something came to the writer that said, "Dude, something else. You need more. You need more." Um. And and so Biagio was born. So. Okay, so let's go back to their motivations for leaving. So Joe, not you, Joe, the mm-hmm. other Joe, Movie Joe. Movie Joe. Movie Joe decided that he wanted to leave after... Okay, so a little backstory in him. His mom died. Mm-hmm. Um, his, the old dead mom. Yeah, yeah, the oldest, the oldest someone, plot in the book. Someone ring the trope alarm yeah. for that. Dead mom. His mom died. He doesn't feel connected to his dad, and he called the cops on his dad during a game of Monopoly. Which which is, is then um set up as something that he's done like a lot yeah i mean like i hate monopoly but i don't think i can imagine any sort of scenario in which i would call the cops on my parent while playing monopoly so that says something about joe i think it does and it's, it's just another sort of thing of the movie like the movie is like just hyper real okay you know like again with the house and like how long they were gone and mm-hmm. like the fact that they like i never mm-hmm. met a 14-year-old who had... No, I've met one 14-year-old <laughs> whose facial hair grew that fast, and that man is terrifying now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, the, the weird, like, fake 5 o'clock shadow that they had. That Yeah, that was a little... And, and stuff. But, yeah, Nick Offerman played that really well. That subtlety, like, mm-hmm. as, as Joe runs into the garage to... <clears throat> to uh call the cops like he knows that that's what's going to happen and like the door shuts and locks and he's like god damn it <laughs> not again like yeah. you almost think that he should have a cell phone on him to like call the cops and be like my son's about to call you please don't come <laughs> yeah yeah he they it definitely gave the impression that that had happened before so and then the friend whose name i'm blanking on um oh here, boring have, McBoring face. Uh, redhead. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, extra from from R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. <laughs> and, 
Anyways, so oh, while while you're on. searching, okay. No, I have it. Okay, you have it. I have it. You it's have right it. here. You've got oh, it. Oh my god. What's his name? Patrick. Pat- Patrick. The, red, the redhead Patrick. kid is named Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. That's racist. Okay, so Joe kind of snapped a little bit, and he decided he couldn't deal with his dad anymore. And mm-hmm. then Patrick, he has. I think you called them like Stepford parents during the movie. Yeah, they were weird. They were weird. Like, the, again, characters who aren't characters. Like, so he just has parents who have some sort of high functioning opioid addiction or something. <laughs> like, they are on Oxycontin just all day. Like, they're this weird mix of like Fargo mid- Midwestern. Yeah. Like, oh, well. I'll just make you some veggie soup before you go off with your friends. And like people who are doing black tar heroin, but still able to function in their daily life. Yeah, it was a little bit bonkers. His parents were. And then and then, like we mentioned, the only snippet of Biagio's parents was at the very end when Biagio asked his dad in Italian or Spanish or something. Would would you go to hell if you don't help your friends when you could? Yeah, and his dad, and his dad replied, who's in, of course. Extreme <laughs> profile and close up, brushing his teeth vigorously throughout the entire scene. And he's like, yes, of course. <laughs> A true man never gives up on his friends. Um, so it's just interesting how each of those parents are so different, yet they. I mean, I don't know for Biagio what his motivation was for leaving, because from that one snippet, like. We don't really see his dad as a terrible person or anything, or annoying like Patrick's parents. No, or... just if if anything, disconnected and mm, yeah. um, you know aloof. Yeah, I can see that. But like on the whole, none of these kids have terrible lives. No, and I mean, I guess that's what we know as the audience, and we're supposed to say, "Ha." These kids don't know how good they have it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe because we're past the whole coming of age age ourselves. Yeah. Persp- like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know that, like, at that age, my parents, like, it was rough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I wanted to wear clothes that they didn't want me to wear. <laughs> and I listened to music that they didn't understand. And right. I had friends that were scary. So, like, I get it. And... If one of the kids was being, like, raped by his stepdad or something, this would be a completely different movie. It would not be a comedy. That's true. It so, had to be lighthearted oh, somehow. It just popped into my head. Yes. There's a really great female coming-of-age film. It's Swedish. It's called <laughs> We Are the Best, and it's these three girls who start a uh, punk band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched that a long time ago, and that's great. Uh, that's that's a really, really great because it, it doesn't... It, it doesn't deal with like the puberty thing because I think it's pre-puberty, mm-hmm. but it still deals with like the these punk girls. Some of them want to look pretty for boys that they like and and stuff like that. It's just in Swedish. <laughs> so have fun reading those subtitles. Hey, it was great. <laughs> um, that was a really good movie. I could talk for a long time about that movie. So what were we thinking about? Oh, so like yeah. So the reasons that the kids didn't like their parents. Felt real, except for Biagio, but he's not a character, so that's, we don't think too true. hard about okay. Biagio. Um, but if the if the reasons why they hated their parents were more serious, it, it would not be a comedy. And if true. it was a comedy, it would be not good. It would be a dark <laughs> comedy, and it would it would be you'd have to be real skillful as a mm-hmm. writer to make that work. 
to make that screenplay work. And you would have to have some really great actors. Um, and, and as as we've alluded to, the two main kids definitely came out of like the Goosebumps casting pool. Yeah, yeah, they sh- they sure did. Um, so the back to the parents. Mm-hmm. You mentioned already that Biagio's dad seemed entirely like unfazed by the fact that his kid had been gone for months mm-hmm. during the summer. So we get little snippets of the investigation into their disappearance, mm-hmm. the other Patrick and Joe. Mm-hmm. You get dumb cops, which is yeah, another, another yeah. wonderful trope. It's, well, yeah, this this whole move this whole movie works under the assumption that adults are stupid. But I mean, that's what they thought. So yeah, it works. It's from the perspective um, of sh- children. So so yeah, like it's almost like the kids are imagining what's happening. That's true. I didn't think of it like that. Like I'm not saying that that's what the screenwriters wanted, no, no, but no, like no. that's that's a way you could read it. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're watching this movie as it's like a giant daydream mm-hmm. or something. Um. So during this investigation, we see Patrick's Stepford-esque parents. Mm-hmm. They, I forget if they did. They immediately jump to the conclusion that Joe had like yeah. That had mm-hmm. they had corrupted his their kid mm-hmm. or something like that, and then Joe's dad is over there. He's like, "Nah, Patrick does just as many bad things as Joe does." He'd brought yeah, up the thing about that, that scene in the fishing boat. Yeah, yeah, that was a funny scene actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it didn't seem. And again, this is probably just the fact that it was a comedy. But like, none of them seemed so freaked out by the fact that their kids were just gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's not supposed to be some gritty, like, emotional thing where, oh my gosh, my kid is missing. Yeah, it's not Gone Girl. No, but it's like, they're just kind of like nonchalant about it. They're like, yeah, they they probably just went off somewhere. Like, not even minding that it's been months and they haven't heard from their kids. I think kids. it was like four weeks total. I thought they were gone longer than that. Like, uh, they were... I think the 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 kids started coming back after four weeks. I think Biagio returned after like four weeks, and then Joe was out there for, for a lot. Yeah, he was out there after for Patrick a did. long time. Um, oh, and shouts out to all those character kid characters for not snitching. Kelly and her friends. Yeah. I know. Oh my god, there were so many loose ends. I know. It was it was crazy. That's the, maybe the most unrealistic <laughs> part of the thing is one of those kids would have talked. Yeah, you would think like like or even like said to their friend who like you know a third party friend mm-hmm. oh yeah no like you know joe he's been missing oh yeah yeah he's in my english class i know where he is yeah you know like none Through of the, the great all those kids m- minded their own damn business <laughs> the whole movie it was so weird <laughs> um so at one point we see the scene of these incompetent cops taking the parents out to this bus station and on this bus, they they tracked Joe's cell phone out to this bus. And they take Joe's, like, duffel bag or backpack or something off the bus. And inside is his cell phone and a Monopoly piece mm-hmm. that Joe took from the game. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was super funny. And then I'm sitting there thinking after the movie about all of these elements of games and toys and everything did you notice any of that? Any of that, like, symbolism or anything? Because you've got the Monopoly game with the dad that sort of triggers the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then when they're in their house, they're playing Monopoly. and That's it's, where the conflict arises. Yeah, that's 
the well the second conflict yeah is, the conflict between them yeah it's them like competing for kelly basically yeah and then then there's a thing that i didn't catch at first but joe's last name is toy oh joe toy and the original oh. title working title of the movie was toy house oh so that works on on the level of they're just pretending that they're on their own in the woods yeah toy house and then that whole game like thing it brings sort of like the innocence of childhood mm-hmm. and then there's also that that thing that irritates me and i could tell by the look on your face that it irritated you that they were competing for kelly via a game Ugh. and that whole thing that she was a prize to be won at the end of this monopoly game although it was unspoken so perhaps we are reading too much into it it was unspoken and she had a decently strong character at least compared to all the other ones yeah. like she like she was fairly unapologetic about who she was attracted to that's true which which is not i mean she's like bro like patrick maybe we should keep this on the down low because mm-hmm. i don't want to hurt joe's feelings because obviously he's into me mm-hmm. and patrick was just like i like pretty pretty aloof about like that whole thing yeah, but and then I I even said it during the movie, Patrick, bros before hoes, man. Yeah. And like ah uh, that that irritated me too. Like I'm not a guy. I don't know the guy code if there even is one. But like you knew that your friend was into her. And I just I don't know how mm-hmm. he could have done that to him. So I want to write a movie. Okay. Um, wherein there's there's setups to conflict like in this movie mm-hmm. kelly is a setup to the conflict between patrick and joe mm-hmm. and where there's all these setups to conflicts instead of a long period of time where the audience waits for the conflict to happen the two characters just have a conversation <laughs> like intelligent people the characters would not ha- would have to not be children then <laughs> Maybe. I mean, adults don't do this. Adults let things sit and percolate forever until they scream at each other and somebody is taking totally off guard and then doesn't have the chance to think about it enough to formulate a response. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this thing called channeling each other's energy, <laughs> where if I come at you like this, you will not have a, a tempered response to what I'm going to say. So I want to write a movie where there's something like that, where, where there's a Kelly and a Patrick, and, and before anything happens, Patrick comes to Joe and says, look, Joe, I know you're into Kelly. Um, she's real into me. I think she's really cool. Like, I'm going to hang out with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are friends, and if you are truly my friend, you need to either be okay with this or... We need to talk about it to the point where you are okay with it. Because um, in the equation of of Patrick, me, plus Kelly, um, you are not in that equation. So so let's talk about it. And then there's just the scene where they talk about it and then grow as people. Sounds like a... Actually, a good movie. You should make it. Sounds like a fantasy movie. It does. Sounds like because that does not happen in real life. It doesn't. But hey, things that happen in movies don't always happen in real life. Yeah. So just just go for it. Well, well, that's the thing too. It is in in movies sometimes things are exaggerated in the other way, right? So like, Mm -hmm. because definitely sometimes like because Patrick and Joe didn't have a conversation about it at all. No. Like they didn't talk about it until Joe was furious about it. Mm -hmm. You know. 
And um, one, Joe should have known from like the onset because every time he talked to Kelly, she, Kelly would ask about Patrick. Oh, I didn't notice oh, that. Oh, you didn't notice that? No, I was Oh, like I the was first gonna conversation say, they had, I was like, oh, she's so not into you, dude. I was going to say that I didn't see where Patrick was interested in Kelly at all. He probably wasn't, not. aside from the fact that she was pretty and he was 13 and she had interest in him. I mean, like, I didn't see that. Like, when it happened, I was like, what? I didn't see this coming. Oh, yeah, she was into him. Like, the the point where I knew it for sure was when Joe finds her working at the at the the golf course. Oh yeah. And and she says he says he, like do you like my beard? Mhm. And she's like, "Yeah, does Patrick have one too?" Oh, I forgot about that. Like that is like bro, Joe, like <laughs> you can't be in a relationship with a woman if if you can't pick up on things like that. Like <laughs> even if she was into you, like she's more into Patrick. She I mean, even if she's into you, if you ask someone a question and they they respond very sh- short and then ask you a question that's tangential to that but different, mm-hmm. like, they are more interested in that thing than what you brought up. That's true. Um, like, man, it's like, like, if you came home and you said, how was your day at work? And I said fine what movie do you want to watch <laughs> i would like, know there's more you you would know that i don't feel like talking to you about work yeah you know we would be so like i don't know that, like that's that's a funny thing I, I think we got away from from your initial point but that's okay i would like to talk about the ending of this movie okay so the end of the movie this uh the snake gets into Joe's little toy house. Mm-hmm. And he is sitting in that house, and he is basically... It seemed like a lot of time had passed since the mm-hmm. snake came in, and he's just sitting there trying not to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see the, the scene with Biagio talking to his dad, and then we see Kelly going to Joe's dad's house to finally tell him where Joe is. Mm-hmm. And Patrick is back in his house and he's yeah patrick's been back yeah he's back he's he was seen on the couch smiling about the fact that his parents cared about him and all that stuff that he took for granted he's starting to realize you know well and there's that so nice bad. little subtle moment too not to cut you off but i'll cut you off there's that nice little subtle moment too where, where dad starts to do that dumb pounding thing looking for studs mm-hmm. and he's just like dad no yeah and he looks at him and they smile at each other and it's like oh, okay and and dad realizes like oh, okay i need to get better yeah. at this and 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 son and son realizes like oh this is how he communicates with me mm-hmm. um so that's cool um, but continue and so then so then joe's dad and kelly they go out to the house to finally get joe back and then they walk in on the snake sort of having him cornered and um, I, I can't remember the specifics. I think the snake was going to Kelly or something. And so Joe jumped up and he's like, no. And then all of a sudden, Biagio bursts in, fueled by his dad saying, yes, you'll go to hell if you don't help your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Biagio, you know, takes one for the team and gets bit in the leg. <laughs> so- <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting bit by snakes. Taking one for the team. It's taking a few. It's taking a few for the team, yeah. 
Um, and so then, you know, fast forward through some some heartwarming father-son uh, understanding. A nice joke about asparagus and pea smell. Yeah, yeah. And then we're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And Biagio is laying in the ho- hospital bed. And um, I had, he says something about if I had to do it all over again, I would do it. And then a few minutes later, he's like, eh, maybe I wouldn't, no, actually. No, it hurts really bad. <laughs> yeah, not going to... I would never do that again. Sorry. <laughs> Still friends, though. Um, and then Kelly comes, and um, then Patrick comes. Or maybe they came together. They came together. Um, yeah, Kelly and Joe talk, and then Patrick walks up. Yeah, okay. So, Patrick, he tries to initiate something with Joe. Well, Kelly... Pulls well, yeah. Patrick After, at the at the urging of away. his girlfriend, yeah. he decides he should initiate something. Um, but Joe is pretty pretty not having it, and mm-hmm. he just kind of walks away. And Patrick's like, "All right, see you later, man," or something like that. Um, and then at the and then there's like another scene with Joe and his dad in the hospital cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And then the very end, um, they're both sitting in their parents' cars. Mm-hmm. In their minivans next to each other on this highway, leaving the leaving the hospital, and there's this moment where Joe and Patrick like they look at each other, but then the other one's not looking, and then they look again, and then they finally catch each other's eyes, and then Joe flips him off, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Joe then, flips him the bird, and then they just start laughing, and then you just sort of get this feeling that everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. because they finally come to an understanding where Joe's okay with Kelly and Patrick being together. And then it's just kind of like this cathartic feeling from mm-hmm. a flip of the bird. And I don't, yeah. I don't, is that like a teen guy thing? I can unpack that a little bit. Do it. So Joe's still mad at Patrick. So he gives him the bird. Mm-hmm. Like, cause screw you, dude. You knew I liked it. Um, and then, and then Patrick either finds this funny or or finally understands, right? Mm-hmm. And the best thing to do is to give him the bird, too, mm-hmm. and smile. And um, because they're two young boys, like, their language is profanity and, and brutishness and a series of grunts and, and, and awful smells. Like, that's how <laughs> men... Uh, obviously all all communicate mm-hmm. together like if you've ever been on the floor at congress and while bills getting passed it's <laughs> dizzy <laughs> but so there's that moment where they they each sort of realize that the other person is still the person that they are friends with yeah so like kelly is an obstacle to their friendship for whatever reason um and obviously they're not okay with that and they're not okay with what happened but Patrick is still Patrick and Joe is still Joe mm-hmm. and we were friends before and we will be friends after um i think that's sort of what that is like it's it's that understanding that this is still the same person this is still mm-hmm. the person that i love this is the person that i built the house with this is the person <laughs> that i've been friends with since before i can even remember yeah um like that's some bond that can't easily be broken and so then i think that's probably the message of the entire movie then is that you know things are gonna happen you're gonna think you want something and it's gonna turn out to be not what you want but 
at the end of the day, it's about the people that you go through these obstacles with and come out either stronger or at least not not suckish with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they say it outright, albeit in not English, but a, a real man never gives up on his friends. Biagio's dad says the, says the, the thesis of the movie, mm-hmm. like straight out to to the himself in the mirror right. as he's brushing his teeth furiously but like that's the point of the movie is that a man doesn't give up on his friends so joe gave up on patrick mm-hmm. did patrick ever give up on joe i think so like he left he did like they leave. fought and he like kicked he kicked out the wall of the house and that's true okay i was thinking that at the end it was biagio was the only one who hadn't given up on anyone um I mean, he left first, though. He left because Joe told him to, though. Yeah. But sometimes people tell you to leave when they don't actually want you to leave. That's true. Sometimes go away is, is fight harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was that in, in this situation, but... Right. You know, sometimes that, that, that's what that means. But I don't know. You could say Biagio sort of gave up. But again, he's not a really character. That's true. He's just Biagio. They just needed that in- interrogation room joke, which was, again, like, super that funny. That was really funny. <laughs> it reminded me of that scene in Psych where he's... Yeah. He looks and he, he does like... He <laughs> but, tilts his head at yeah. the same time. Uh, that that was, was good. It was good. All right. So we're going to talk about some trivia real sure. quick. Um, though there was very, very scant amount of trivia available for this movie. Shocker. So we've got Nick Offerman, who is Joe's dad. And Megan Mullally, who's Patrick's mom, they're a couple in real life. Aww. Aww. Which, which really makes their scenes together in Parks and Recreation make a lot of sense. See, I knew that when I watched Parks oh, and Rec. I, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I knew they were together. But yeah, they, they're good. I like all the stuff they do together. Do they do more things together? Yeah, there's, an, uh, there's another movie they did together. I, pff, I'll look it up later. Um, so Chris Galletta or Gaeta something. His script for this movie was featured on The Blacklist, which is an annual comprehensive list of Hollywood's best unproduced scripts in 2009. I've seen so many movies where that's on the on the on the trivia recently. Really? Yeah, we watched a couple movies recently where that was the case. Um so so other notable scripts featured on the list in 2009 were The Social Network, mm-hmm. Cedar Rapids, and have we seen that one? I have not. No, I don't think I have. And Take This Waltz, which I have not heard uh, of. No. Which just goes to show you that uh, you got to give something a chance because you'll get a pretty good movie if you do. Oh, Cedar Rapids has Ed Helms and John C. Riley in it. Um, Let's see. The screenplay was originally titled Toys House, which we sort of touched on, and I'm glad it wasn't actually called that. Mm-hmm. Um, Although Kings of Summer... I'm not sure. I guess that's pretty fitting. Yeah. They sort of took control of their summer. They... I, I like I like sometimes in in sort of more thinky movies to have the title also be thinky. Yeah. Like w- last week, Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Good. You know, yeah. solid. Like solid. that's that's what it is. Um. But yeah, you don't you don't need to do every single movie like that. Um, another, another just tidbit for you. 
At the end of the movie in the hospital, Joe's wearing a Cleveland t-shirt, giving a hint to the movie's filming location. I mean, take from that what you will. Um, Cleveland seems like pretty pretty suburban place for this to take place, so I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, and Mark Evan Jackson have previously appeared in Parks and Rec. Oh, is he the, the delivery guy? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, he was. he's the the Indian dude, right? At some point, who shows up and does things. Hold on, one second. No, I know who you're talking about. I don't think that's him, though. Oh, one sec. Then let me find it. I want to find it. I mean, keep going. But and then the the last available piece of trivia for this movie is also something else that I say okay to. Um, the snake shown at the end of the film is a Pacific gopher snake, which is not venomous as portrayed in the film. Kind of makes sense that the snake that they would put in a house with these kids is not venomous, but what do I know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that's all the trivia that they had, which kind of kind of stinks because I feel like this is the type of movie there would be some pretty interesting trivia for. Did you? Who did you come up with? Oh, what did you say his name was? His some name. Three names. Mark Evan Jackson. Oh, yeah. Mark Evan Jackson. He played... He's he's the white guy. <laughs> the white guy. Uh, he plays Trevor Nelson. Trevor Nelson. He's in 10 episodes of Parks and Rec. Okay. Not ringing a bell. Doesn't matter. All right. Do you have any any uh, final thoughts about this movie that you would like to, that you would like to share? Yeah. Um... Uh, Can I just talk about Nick Offerman for a little bit? I mean, go for it. Since he was in this movie. Sure. A thing with Nick Offerman. There's this wonderful gift set that I saw um, back in the days when I was a young girl and had a Tumblr. (laughs) Where he's on, like, one of the the late night shows with with somebody. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are Nick Offerman's rules to be in a good man right because his character in parks and rec got condensed down to grumpy bacon and and grumpy Murka. bacon. yeah grumpy murka grumpy bacon mm-hmm. make grumpy bacon murka grumpy murka face yes <laughs> uh the third <laughs> so and like he even says something to the effect of like i bet you think like he says something like always eat bacon drink good beer be patriotic and then he's like no i'm just kidding like just be like faithful and respectful to your friends mm-hmm. nick offerman is 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 interesting to me because his character in parks and rec has so much heart and he plays it really well like yeah. the scenes where he has to be compassionate mm-hmm. is really good and uh, there's some some bits of that. Like he plays a really good sad guy in mm-hmm. in this film because, like you, the, the film doesn't pay a lot of mind to it, but like he's having a really hard time dealing with the death of his wife, right? Who he's obviously was obviously very in love with. Um, you can tell that he's a passionate dude when. In, during the Monopoly scene and, mm-hmm. and everything. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of scenes of him, like, laying awkwardly on a couch. Right. As the camera sort of just, like, spirals above him. hmm And, like, I wish... Like, he's one of those actors I wish they would give a really hard role to. Um, 
because he 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 essentially played um, his character in Parks and Rec in this movie. A less comedic version, though. Yeah, I mean, he played the more memeified version. Yeah. The the more just like grumpy and what so, the hell is wrong with this wonton son type of thing. So by a harder role, do you mean more difficult or like tougher, more grr kind of role? Like more difficult, more range. I, okay. I want to see more range from him. Like Steve Carell was getting typecasted. Mm-hmm. As as Michael Scott during the run of The Office, and then he goes and plays uh, Dan in Dan in Real Life, mm-hmm. which is a really sad sort of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, where Dane Cook sort of tries to be an yeah. uh, an actor with range, which um, one of them was in The Big Short, <laughs> and one of them was in I don't know what's he doing now. Is he Not still, a clue. He was in an episode of Louie. Oh, okay. Well, good for him. <laughs> With every other stand-up comic who's ever had a special. But I don't know, like, because I know that you like Nick Offerman, like you said it earlier in this episode. Yeah. That that you're a fan of him. Like, I just feel like he could do so much more. And it, like, it kind of makes me, like, feel bad. And maybe he's the actor who just wants to do that. Like, maybe mm-hmm. he just wants to be sort of this this character actor who's not quite a lead, but more than a character actor. Mm-hmm. And like, hey, that's just what he wants to do. I think it's just he has, like, I think that that is his actual persona. Like, I want to say, I, granted, I don't actually know. He but does I, have stand-up specials oh, maybe on, I should watch on some Netflix, of those. and we should, we should maybe watch them, but, like... He's wearing, like, an American shirt thing, mm-hmm. and it's very sort of, like, Budweiser, Chevy, pickup yeah. truck sort of looking thing. So, but, like, that could just be the character. Like, that could be his Larry the Cable guy. But isn't that the mark of a good actor when they bring part of themselves into every role, role that they play? Like, instead of, like, you can still tell who it is. Like, mm. I, I think it's more skillful to be able to inject something of yourself into a character than to completely become somebody else and erase yourself if that makes sense i don't know about that i think it's harder to to completely lose yourself but i mean well yeah i get what you're saying like i would i would like i would say daniel day lewis completely embodying any character that he plays is is a lot more interesting than Ryan Gosling just delivering lines well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there's been a lot of talk recently on like method acting and things like that. But I, it's it's just sort of like worrying or scary to me when I see an actor who I think is good and has a lot of potential to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm get sort of typecasted into this one thing, especially when that's like my least favorite element of them. Mm. So we've talked about this before where like Zack Schneider, he did 300 and he did um, the newer Superman movies and yeah. stuff and a lot of other sort of actiony movies. And there's this thing that he did in 300 where he had lots of cool elements. It was really visually interesting and stylized and it had some good, slow motion and some good action and stuff like this and then he went on to make another movie and then another movie and then another movie and every time he made a new movie he 
focused more on the elements that he thought worked the best mm-hmm. in in the previous movies. But they weren't. Um, and then you get Superman versus Batman, which is critically panned and sort of maligned by most people I know that have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like... I. Not that I think that Nick Offerman will do that, because I think he's a smart guy and, and will take the roles that fit him the best. Um, but it's just scary because I don't find bacon jokes funny anymore. Well, he didn't make any bacon jokes I, in this movie. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But, like, he had that, like, his biggest monologue in the film was about food and about, like, oh, my God, this thing should, this wonton should be smaller because what am I supposed to do? And um, a lot of a lot of his funnier jokes were Parks and Rec type jokes, where like, are you aware of the the story of the the man who cried wolf? Mm-hmm. And he gives like the most sarcastic yes you can possibly give. He's like, mm-hmm. yes, I did have a childhood on the planet Earth, mm-hmm. so I am aware. Do you think I could apply that in an allegorical fashion? Okay, but this role was written. I am assuming before nick offerman was cast into it so maybe i mean not all roles are specifically written for a specific oh no so the so those jokes and those things would have still been in the movie and they probably would have been delivered less funnily or well by someone else Mm -hmm. so i think that he like was the person to be in this movie I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying I worry about, like, what am I going to see? Like, is Nick Offerman going to be the lead in some movie five years from now? And the movie is just awful because they've diluted Nick Offerman into bacon, America, grumpy man jokes. And then they've tried to make, like, a 90-minute... Because there's a lot of comedic actors who have... That's what's happened to them. Adam Sandler, according to you. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, yeah, like... And the funny parts of Adam Sandler aren't even in Adam Sandler movies anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to see if there's any other trivia. There's not, sadly, any other trivia. Alrighty. So, what are you planning to show me next week? Next week, we're going to watch Frank. 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 Alrighty, I look forward to it. And until then, keep talking, keep loving, and keep sharing. Bye now.